Well, my name is Ryan Foltz. I'm the director of high school ministries here at Grace Fellowship Church. And it is truly a joy for me to be here uh, with you this morning in this specific fashion where I get to, by God's grace, preach uh, the good news of the gospel to you this morning. Now, I'm so glad we're doing this, this series on the church because I don't know if you noticed, but if you'll just look around you, the people of God and the church of God are, are being increasingly pressed upon by the world. We're facing increasing hostility towards the things of God. And so I love that we're doing this series, and, and I appreciate greatly how Peter started our series last week by reminding us that the church has always been about the Word of God. It's always been about the proclamation of the Word of God. That's why we're, we here at Grace Fellowship Church, we, we talk about God's Word all the time. You see it at the heart of what we sing about, what we preach about, and how we live. And today I've been, given, I've been given a topic, a specific topic called the church and its message. Now unfortunately all we have to do, as I said earlier, is just look around and even in places that call themselves churches, the message of those churches varies. Many times the message of one church actually contradicts the message of another church. And, and perhaps maybe worse than that, or actually for sure worse than that, very often the message of the church contradicts God's word, the Bible. This is the age that we live in. Too many churches offer Jesus as a get-rich-quick scheme or as a fix-all-your-problems kind of medicine. But that's not, that's not the message of the church. That's not the message we have been tasked with bearing. The message of the church is simple yet powerful. It is clear, yet still often misunderstood. But my, maybe my favorite part about the message of the church is that it's unchanging. It's unchanging. The true message that the church is designed to bear is unchanging. So what is this message, Ryan? You've held out for a couple minutes. What is this message? Well, the message Quite simply, the message of the church is the good news of the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now I know once I say the word gospel or the word Jesus, uh, unfortunately I lose many of you the minute I say that. I couldn't count on my hands and my toes how many books have the, the title gospel-centered this, Jesus-centered this, gospel-powered this, and many of them are great books, but I'm afraid once we hear the word the gospel or, or even the name of Jesus, sometimes we tune out. We come in here looking for something different, looking for something new, but that's not the message of the church. The message of the church is Jesus. Nothing new, it is the message of the gospel. So as we, as we work through Colossians chapter 2 today, bear with me, work with me, engage what is being said. Don't just dip out on me. So let's take a look at Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. We'll go all the way to 15. 
Colossians chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, uh, you can open it in the middle and just head right. It's near the back side of your Bible. Uh, so if you need some help finding it, feel free to use the index. It's not the end of the world. Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one, that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I'm absent in body, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead." And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Would you pray with me? God, we need you today. We need you every day. Would you remind us today of the truth of the gospel? Would you remind us today that every one of us needs this glorious truth? God, I pray that you would soften hearts, unstop deaf ears, open blind eyes, to the great news of Jesus. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We pray these things by your blood and in your name. Amen. Now, anytime we kind of dive into the middle of a book like this for a kind of a one-hit sermon, we need to make sure we understand the context uh, of the passage. We need to know what's going on so that we can see what it was meant for them so that we can then see what it means for us. So when we look at the book of Colossians, um, this is a letter. The Apostle Paul wrote it from, most likely once again, in jail. This guy writes a lot of letters from jail. He wrote this letter from jail to this church in Colossae. And one of the things that I learned really quickly as I was studying, I actually didn't know this, but for the most part, Paul probably has never been to this church in Colossae. He's probably never been to meet all these people. He may know a couple of them from previous ministry in his time in Ephesus, but he may not even really know all these people there. Yet even though he's not met them, 
In the heart of Paul has grown this deep, deep love for the people in Colossae. He cares for them. He longs for them. He contends for them. He prays for them. He loves this church. Now, if you were to sit down and kind of read Colossians from the beginning to the end, you'll come away, and it's hard to miss it, with one major theme over the whole letter. The preeminence of Christ. That Christ sits above all. He holds all things together. Colossians 1, 17 and 18 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Pastor Kent Hughes described it very well when he said, it is the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ as the head of all creation and of the church. So that's the, the theme. But why in the world did Paul write this letter? Why did he feel the need to write to this church about the preeminence of Christ. Well, Paul, while in jail, had received word that there were some false teachers starting to infiltrate the church. They were starting to spread lies and deceive people. They were trying to insist that people adhere to strict dietary laws, keep specific religious festivals, and other things that we would most likely call legalistic, and at the very least, just unnecessary. But they were lies, full of deception. The goal was not simply to give some more truth, but was to lead away from Christ. And so Paul, when the, the foundation of this church in Colossae was being challenged, when the foundational message of the church was being challenged, he penned this letter. He wanted them to know, hold fast to this. Hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast to the gospel. When the church in Colossae was being pressed, he told them, hold fast. Hold fast. So today from our text, I just want to show you a couple of things. Uh, I, can't t I can't do everything that this passage has to say to us. We could take days on specific words in this passage, but I just want to show you three things, three kind of fundamental truths that remind us that the gospel is the message of the church. The first truth is this. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ is the foundation of of the church. Look at verse 6 and 7 in your copy of scripture with me. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. There are many things Paul could have wrote in a letter to the church in Colossae. There are many things he could have said, many things he could have written about, but Paul wanted to remind them of their foundation. He wanted to remind them of their foundation in Christ. They were built upon the news of Christ. 
He was what held them together. He was what they were designed for. It was for Christ. Throughout history, Christianity has seen false teachers come in and try to tell people how to be made right with God. Sometimes we, we hear them say, you know, it's, you can be made right with God through Christ and this. Maybe it's Christ and you have to be baptized or else. It's not really salvation. Some people would say that. Or, or they would just say, you know, you can be saved by Christ, but then also, also these things need to happen as well. Otherwise, you have no hope. But those are lies. Paul wanted to remind them they didn't need to necessarily keep all these religious uh, rules and regulations. They didn't need to be at all these religious festivals. They didn't need to keep all these dietary laws because they were saved in Christ and nothing else. I love that he gives us a number of pictures, really, in verse 6 and 7. He says, as you were saved in Christ, walk in him, be rooted in him, established in him or built up in him. If you were to just take a pen and go through Colossians and underline every time you see the words in him or by him or through him, you'd run out of ink in your first pen and need to get a second. Because that's the theme of this message is it's all through him. It's all about him. It's all in him. We're to live like we've been redeemed. Paul's not telling them to look ahead necessarily. He's telling them to look behind themselves to what Christ has already done. So when they're being pressed in by these false teachers, when people are spreading lies, he doesn't go about naming every single one and telling them why that's wrong and why that's wrong, although he dresses some of them later in this chapter. He just reminds them, you weren't saved by those things. You aren't built upon those things. You were built, you were saved by Christ. That's the message of the church. The foundation of the church is Christ. Now the gospel is not simply a, an empty call to just be like Jesus. The gospel isn't just a message that tells you, go be better. When Christ saves a people, he gives them a new purpose and he gives them a new power. He gives them a new purpose and he gives them new power. That's good news. In fact, he's, what he's really doing is restoring us to our original purpose. When we see in Genesis 1, we were created in the image of God for the glory of God and not for the glory of man. We were created to glorify God. And if your foundation is built on something other than Christ, it will crumble. It will fall apart. It will fail you. If Paul had written to the church in Colossae and said, remember all those things you've done. Remember how faithful you've been to the church on Sundays. You were there every Sunday. Remember how you served in children's ministry. Remember how you... That would be a false gospel if it wasn't fulfilled in you've done all these things because of Christ and what he's done in you. He points them back to the good news of the gospel. Points them back to the good news of Christ. 
as a church, we have to understand that we must be rooted and built upon the good news of the gospel. It must be our primary message. We say other things. That's not wrong. We deal with other aspects of life. We have biblical counseling ministry. We have all these things that we talk about. We talk about marriage. We talk about parenting. We talk about the sovereignty of God. We talk about many things. But if the primary message of the church is not the gospel, it's not a church. If a church's main message is anything other than the gospel, the only people calling it a church are the IRS, definitely not God. I'm serious. If we're not talking about the gospel, if we're not about the gospel, we might be able to write a tax-deductible check, but God's not looking down on your church and happy with what's going on. He's, you are not a church if you're not about the gospel. When the church in Colossae was being pressed to go, to go and move on to bigger and better things, Paul tells them to return to their foundation. Return to their roots. Now I understand how important good foundations are. I remember when we were looking for a house, um, I, it, we, we used a realtor here at the church and uh, he was awesome. But anytime we walked in the door, um, if I heard the word foundation issue, we turned around and we just walked. We just... We don't want to deal with that. If we found out that there was cracks and there was going to need something to, to, to deal with the foundation, we were out. We were out. Now, some of you might know what these, these are. I've used this illustration in student ministry, but I, want to, I think it's really, really helpful. Do you guys know what these are? Duplos. These are my kids' duplos. They love these things. They'll build things with them. Daniel's into, like, building spaceships and all kinds of crazy things. It's really, really fun to watch. But when we first bought these for him, I think he, like every other boy ever to exist, decided he was going to build a tower, right? But his tower had literally no foundation, right? He was just building as tall as he could make it. He would grab more Duplos, and he would keep building. And then all it would take was a little fan or a little, little sister Annabelle to crawl on by and boom, game over. And he would get frustrated because he was trying to figure out, how do I build this up? I want to get it high. I want to get it taller than me. But it doesn't seem to hold. It always falls apart. So then what does is, what is dad and mom do? We go big time. <laughs> this is the mother of all bases. We bought this thing, and then all of a sudden, my son was an architect. He could build anything. He could build a house. He could build uh, a garage. He built all kinds of things. The, the things he could build got gr more grand, more amazing with every day. But it was all because he had a good foundation, right? It was all because once you sit this thing down and once you build upon it, look, it's even leaning and it's holding. Once you have a good foundation, it will stand. If we build our church, if any church builds its message, its life, its ministry on anything other than the gospel, it will fall over like that. 
I love Mark Dever's description of a healthy church. He, he writes this. I think it's in your bulletin. He says, a healthy church is a church in which every member, young and old, mature and immature, unites around the wonderful good news of salvation through Christ Jesus. More than anything else in the church's life, the members of a healthy church pray and long to know the gospel more deeply. They're trying to sink their roots down deeply. When we come together for small group, that's what we talk about. When we get together in the foyer, that's what we should talk about. We are to be about the message of Christ. One thing that I I love about the gospel, there are many things that are good things about the gospel. But one thing that I love about the gospel is that we don't ever have to get over it. In fact, we're never supposed to. We're never supposed to get over this great news of Jesus. In fact, it's supposed to be a daily part of our diet. Rehearsing, remembering what Christ has done for us. So the second truth kind of flows from our foundation. The second thing that we recognize about the gospel is that it fuels abundant thankfulness for all believers. It fuels our thankfulness. Let's look at verse 6 and 7 one more time. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him and be and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. It's really simple. The gospel, it really does fuel thankfulness in our lives. If we think about it, if we dwell on it, if we work it out and, and, and pray about it and talk about it, thankfulness increases. We're more excited about life because of all that Christ has done for us. Paul sees this as a natural part. When you see the text that says, so walk in him, that's a natural part of walking in Christ is you are a thankful person. Thankfulness was a prime way that the church in Colossae could fight the lies that were coming at them. You want to know who who are the most vulnerable people when it comes to lies and deceit? People who are most vulnerable are the disillusioned and the dissatisfied. Because they're always looking for something different, something more something they think will satisfy, something they think is better than what they already have. So why is it, church, why is it that we who should be the most happy and thankful people in all the world seems to be the ones most lacking in thankfulness? Why is that? When we, I can tell you a number of people that I know personally that when you get around them, you would, you would wonder if they understood the gospel because they're not thankful. They're not happy with what God has done in their life. We can be thankful in the midst of trials. We can be thankful in the midst, in the midst of hard things. We can be thankful. Paul's writing this letter from jail, people. We can be thankful because of what Christ has done for us. That's the good news of the gospel. I think one of the reasons, the main reason, why we 
as a church sometimes struggle to be thankful is because we submit ourselves to the theology of the world rather than the theology of scriptures. We listen to what the world tells us. The world says, life is all about me, and we love that. But God says we were made for him, not for us. We were made for his glory, not our own. The world says, do whatever it takes to get what makes you happy. But God says, your greatest joy will only be found in me. Our greatest joy will only be found in Christ. That's why Paul, when he was writing the letter to the Philippians, once, Philippians, once again, another jail time letter, when he wrote the letter to Philippians, he said in chapter three, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. It's because the joy he had in Christ beat everything else. The joy he had in Christ destroyed anything else he had in his life as far as it didn't give him the joy that Christ does. You see, we need to wake up preaching to ourselves a God-centered theology rather than a man-centered theology. We need to wake up reminding ourselves of our God-given purpose, which was to display God's glory, not to live for ourselves. That's where we find joy and happiness, living for our God. Going back to our identity we found in Christ. So let me just, because I can and because I think we need to, let me just pop the bubble, okay? Let me just pop this bubble. God has not promised you a nice house, fancy car, or designer clothes. He hasn't promised you a problem-free marriage. He hasn't promised you a marriage at all. He hasn't promised that you or your kids will get along, that they'll be compliant, obedient, or successful. He hasn't promised to keep your life comfortable and free. Do you want to know what he has promised, though? He has promised that if you repent and put your trust in him, he will save you. That you will live for eternity with him. That you will have a renewed relationship with God. That no matter what this life deals out, no matter the cards that God deals you in this life, you can have joy because you are redeemed. That is the message of the gospel we need to remember. Let me uh, kind of illustrate it this way. This is kind of an embarrassing story of mine, but I think it communicates pretty clearly just the sin that dwells in us, the the desire for us to have things our way, even if it goes against God's will for our life. Many of you know that I love soccer, right? World Cup's getting ready to start. There's a reason. It's the most popular sport in the world. We're just messed up here in America. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, but I will be watching as much uh, of the World Cup as possible. My productivity will go down in the office. So if you're calling, I'm probably watching the game. So, no, that's not right. That's not true. <laughs> I like my job. I want to keep it. Um, I love soccer. I really do. I grew up playing it here. and I moved overseas uh, as missionaries to the Czech Republic with my parents. And I, I played in Germany in high school. I love soccer. Now, I remember one time at the end of our junior year, you always go to this year-end tournament. It's European Championships. Uh, you get put in a pool. You're supposed to play everybody in your pool. And you hope to make it out of the pool. You hope to get to the championship. You hope to win it all. That's what everybody wants to do, right? We were in one of our games early in the tournament, and we were, we were winning. 
I don't even remember the score. It was probably 3 nothing, 4 nothing. We were doing just fine. But personally, I was having an awful game. I had had plenty of opportunities to score, and I'd, I'd shot wide of the goal. I was just super frustrated with my, with my game so far. And so my coach, it was, it was back end of the game. He decided to pull me out of the game, get some of my teammates some playing time, give me some rest. We had another game that day, so we have, you know, we had no reason for, for some of our starters to keep playing. Uh, and so as he pulled me off, uh, I could have been thankful that we were winning. I could have been thankful that we were up, we were going to be fine in pool play. We actually went on to win the championship that year. But we could have been happy at this moment. But I'm guessing you know where this is going. Instead of being happy and joyful, I pretty much stomped off the field like a toddler, unhappy with what was happening. Coach said something like, get some rest, Ryan. You'll be fine next game. We'll go get him next game. Instead of seeing the wisdom of my coach, all I thought was, I need to be out here. I need to redeem myself. If I don't get my confidence back, I'll not play well the rest of this tournament. Notice how many times the word I showed up in that phrase. (laughs) So this is when I do something that I still to this day am embarrassed about. I remember walking off the field, looking at my coach, And I just looked at him and I said, Coach, you don't know me. You don't know what I need. And I sat down, completely pouting like a toddler. I was a junior in high school, people. A junior in high school. But I think that shows us a window into our hearts. We always think we know better. We always think we know what we need. My coach was right. He knew what I needed way better than I did. He knew I just needed some rest. I went out and played fine the next game. It wasn't a problem. You see, when we sin, we are taking happiness into our own hands. We're shaking our fist at God saying, you don't know me. You don't know what I need. But there's nobody better in this world that knows what you need than God the Father. And he has given you what you need through his son Jesus. That's what we need. So Paul just reminded the Colossians that they can be thankful because what Christ has done for them. The gospel is what we need. The gospel is the great message that saves and then gives us gratitude and gratefulness every day of our life every day of our life psalm 117 says praise the lord all nations for great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the lord endures forever praise the lord we're to be thankful psalm 91 says i will give thanks to the lord with all my heart and i will recount all your wonderful deeds we are to be a thankful people We, the people of the church, we Christians, have much to be thankful for. And the best way to increase your thankfulness is to remember your foundation in Christ. Remember what he's done for you. 
There's a quote in your bulletin from the gospel primer that I think just speaks to our own sin and our need for the gospel very, very well. It says, preaching the gospel to myself every day reminds me of God's astounding love for me and also of his infinite worthiness to be loved by me above all else. These reminders deliver a one-two punch to my innate self-absorption and leave me increasingly absorbed with Christ and with God's ultimate plan to gather together all heavenly and earthly things to him. Nothing stirs up thankfulness in the heart of a believer like the gospel. We need to wake up thinking about it. We need to talk about it. We need to read about it. We need to chew on it. The gospel increases your thankfulness. That is one of the reasons why it is the message of the church, because God knows you need it. Not just for salvation, but for your sanctification. So Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. He increases thankfulness through his word and through the gospel. But the final truth is, is this. Jesus Christ is the only hope for the lost. So everything so far has kind of been like, what effect does this have on us as Christians? What effect does this have on the church? We need to remember our foundation. We need to grow in thankfulness. But there's no greater message that the world needs. They need the gospel. They need the gospel. Because of the fallen spiritual condition of the world, Jesus Christ is the only hope uh, for the lost. If you look, um, really kind of 8 through 14 is kind of a, a great picture of the gospel. He reminds them of all the things that he's done, that uh, through him they've been buried and raised again. He raised them from the dead because they were dead in their trespasses and he gave them new life, forgave their sin As I was preparing this sermon, there was one thing that really struck me that was good for me to think about. Do you realize that at one point in time, the church in Colossae was not a church? You realize that? At one point in time, it was not a church. It wasn't a church, it, was, it wasn't because they didn't have a pastor. It wasn't because they didn't have a budget. It wasn't because they didn't have missionaries. It was not a church because there were no Christians. And there were no Christians because they hadn't heard the gospel. As I thought about this, I, I was super encouraged to think about God working in the lives of the Colossians. You see, Paul, um, perhaps the greatest missionary to ever live, while he was preaching the gospel in Ephesus, ran into two people named Epaphras and Philemon. And they heard the good news of the gospel. They were affected by the gospel. They repented and put their trust in Christ. And then they went to Colossae. And in Colossae, they began to share the gospel. They began to proclaim the word of God. The church in Colossae existed because somebody brought the gospel to them. It was once a church. It was once no church, dead in its trespasses and sins. Now it was a church because of the work of the gospel. We are all sinners. I think we know that. Um, I think Romans 3, 23 uh, 
shows us clearly, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 3, 10, and 11 says no one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. 5, 12 says sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men and all sinned. We're all sinners. And if you're a believer in here today, you were once a Colossian. <laughs> you were once one of those who was not a believer. We aren't born believers. We're made believers because the gospel changes our life. So look at your life. I think you can look around and realize when you became a believer, it was because the gospel came to you. It could have been a friendship, a family member, God's word, sitting under preaching at a church. But at one point in time, if you're a believer, the gospel came to you and changed your life. That's what the gospel does. That's why the gospel is the message of the church. Because there's no hope for the lost without it. So if we're not going to be about it, who is? God has tasked the church to be the bearer of the good news. And not just the church as in the institutional church, but the people of the church. You guys, me, your families are to be bearers of the gospel. So is the gospel your message? I know for a fact some of you could talk circles around me when it comes to the Cincinnati Reds. I know many of you have much better understanding of college football than I do and can maybe already predict the four teams that are going to make it into the playoff this year. But are you known by your love for the gospel? Not by your love for the Reds or the Bengals. Not by the decision you made as far as how to school your kids. Not by the house that you live in or uh, the hobbies that you have. Uh, do the people around you know you by the gospel? Because you talk about it. Because you think about it. Because you love it so much. Are we a church that preaches Christ from the pulpit but is silent at work in our neighborhoods? I can't answer that question for you. But look at your heart. Look at your life. If the gospel, if Jesus Christ has saved you, you're now a missionary, friends. You're now on mission. You may not pay, be paid as a missionary, but you've been bought by Christ, so now you're on mission. George W. Truett said it like this. He said, the supreme indictment that you can bring against a church is that the church, that such a church lacks in passion and compassion for human souls. A church is nothing better than an ethical club if its sympathies are lost, for lost souls do not overflow, and if it does not go out to seek to point lost souls to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's just an ethical club if we're not about gospel proclamation to the lost. May that never be us, friends. May we be known by talking about the gospel, not just because 
we love it, but because we love others so much and we know that's what they need. I want to just share a quick story from my own life and how this has kind of worked out in my life. Um, One of the things I miss about working kind of full-time at the Marriott is I used to have great, great, great gospel conversations with people who don't know Christ on a regular basis. I used to talk about God, religion, the Bible, and other things with my coworkers. We could be up, we'd be up there late sometimes, setting up tables, tearing down tables, and I, depending on the day, it didn't happen every day, but there were often great conversations that would happen with my coworkers. And I remember one time there was a, uh, there, there's a buddy of mine who, he's nominally Catholic, uh, nominally at best. Um, we were talking about scriptures, we're talking about heaven, we're talking about hell. Um, we had just gone outside and dumped a bunch of trash in our trash compactor, so it's squishing everything together. We're sitting down on the curb. He was smoking a cigarette, and we were talking. And we got to this point where he just sat and looked at me, and then he posed this question to me. He said, Ryan, do you think I'm going to hell? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> that's, that's the exact question I was hoping you would ask. It was a good question. But he could have asked me, tell me more about this thing, grace, that you're talking about. He could have asked me, why the church? He could have, there's a million things he could have asked me. But he looked at me and he said, Ryan, do you think I'm going to hell? So that's one of those moments where you kind of gather yourself, like, here we go, game on. And I just looked at him, and with all care in my heart, because I love this guy, I said, yes, I, I think you're going to hell. And we talked about the gospel. We'd already talked about it really all day that day. It was an interesting day. And then he just looked at me, and then he laughed. Because he didn't believe me. He didn't believe me. He thought he was good enough. He still thinks he's good enough. He still thinks he's okay. He still thinks he's right with God. But I hopefully brought the gospel to him, right? I don't know what God is going to do with that from here. I threw out some seed, and we'll see. Somebody else may come along and water it. I may never know. What God does in this, the life of my buddy. I might move on to a, uh, another state or uh, move far away or he may move. But I tell you one thing. I told him the message he needed most. Amen. Not out of anger, not out of frustration, but because I loved him and I cared about him and he needed nothing else other than the good news of Christ. He needed to know that he wasn't right with God, but that he could be made right with God through Jesus. If you just look at Colossians chapter 2, you see this glorious message of the gospel. Verse 11, it says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh 
God made alive. (laughs) He made them alive. In a world where it feels like there's no hope. In a world that is trying so hard to help us live for ourselves. In a world that is growing increasingly hostile to this message. We are called to be bearers of the good news. Here in your neighborhood, in your church, at your work, at the library, at the grocery store, at the Reds game, at the Bengals game, it doesn't matter. The gospel's for all of those places because there are people there who need the message. So I still love him. I still pray for him. I hope I get to talk with him again. We don't... He doesn't work there anymore, so we don't have a lot of conversations anymore. We may go play golf once or twice. I hope that we do. But I want you to remember, you were once Colossians. (laughs) You were once not a church. You were once not a believer. And you are now saved because of what Christ has done in you. And that should deeply affect how we live every day. So as we come to a close, I want to ask our worship team to come on up. We're going to close with a song. So so many times I'm I'm a little frustrated. I feel like we end our sermon, we pray, and then we turn to our family and say, so Chipotle or Rafferty's? Rafferty's, church Chipotle. I'm a Chipotle guy. But I get a little frustrated because we sit under the word of God. We sing praises to our God. But the minute this is done, it's how can we go have fun? What's going on the rest of our day? Rarely do we just sit under the word of God. Do we just let it kind of marinate over our souls? So what I want to do is I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing one more song. And I pray and hope that it is a time where you experience Christ. If you're a believer, remember the gospel. Rejoice in the gospel. Think about people you need to take it to. But if you're not a believer, let me, let me just tell you, you need Jesus. I needed Jesus. He can make you alive. God, I thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that I have nothing else to point to but your work on the cross for my life. That it's easy for me to start these conversations now because I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm saying I was worse than you. And I need you deeply. God, would we go from here as a church on mission with the message of Jesus. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.